0: Well, that was weird. Uh, hello out there and welcome back to the com podcast, the official podcast of com. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan, and we have some baseball, a baseball regional to talk about. A little bit of off-season football news, it's talking season. SEC coaches meetings are going on right now. Um, we have some actual football games to talk about now because they are officially scheduled and Uh, TV slotted and all that fun stuff. Um, But as always, let's start off with recruiting a little bit. Um, So the first major uh, official visit weekend of the summer is this coming weekend. Um, I gave a full list of the entire summer as I had it last week. I'll uh, reemphasize that list in the weekly recruiting wrap-up tomorrow on GameCucksGroup.com. Um, but I'll go ahead and I'll run down just it's a quick six names that I have right now. Um, you got your three biggest uh targets are four star receivers, Parker Livingstone, Angela Lewis Solomon, and then a four star running back, Braylon Russell. Um, interestingly, I kind of mentioned this last week. Uh Russell and Livingstone are kind of in that more western, southwestern. Um Recruiting footprint, uh, Living Stones from Texas, uh, Russell from Arkansas. So we'll, we'll see if South Carolina can continue to try to make inroads there. Obviously, Justin Stepp has a lot of uh, ties out there. And new offensive coordinator, Dowell Loggins, has some ties out there. Um, you also have three-star safety, Kaj Sanders, who we had a quick um, article on the Insiders Forum from Adam Friedman on yesterday. And then a, uh, another uh, DB, Jason Johnson, out of Florida. And defensive lineman D-Noss White out of North Carolina. Those are the six that I have right now. Uh, I would, I'll keep the board updated on if uh, there's a couple more names. Um, there's also been several unofficial visitors for camps and stuff. I believe I mentioned last week, uh, if I didn't, I, I wrote about it in the article uh, on Dante Reno Um that he's coming in this week to throw a little bit for camp. Um, and obviously he'll be able to kind of help with some of those official visitors as well. Other news that it kind of teased on the recruiting front, um, Dante Reno got an Elite 11 invite officially last week, uh, pretty soon after we we signed off the podcast last week. Um, that's a big deal. Uh, you actually have four that, – that would make – well, right now you currently have three – uh, guys on the roster that are former Elite 11 guys. Um, Spencer Rattler won the MVP in 2018, I believe. You actually had another uh, Elite 11 guy, um, Ryan Halinski, who's no longer at South Carolina, but you had recruited him from that same Elite 11. Um, and then you have Luke Doty and Dakarian Joyner, who both uh, competed in the Elite 11 in their own right. So yeah, Reno adds to that list. Uh, they're moving it from Oregon to L.A., um, this year. but And uh, yeah, that's that's a big time honor and he'll go out there com- and compete and um, obviously we'll, we'll keep you updated on how he does out there. But um, just another way that he's kind of getting South Carolina's name on the map before he even arrives on campus. Um, I believe that made him like the seventh ever. Um, I was trying to think of a couple more off the top of my head. Blake Mitchell was one. Steven Garcia was one there was one more Brandon McIlwain was one. Um, So, you know, kind of a hodgepodge of people that have very much contributed people that may still contribute and people that uh, it didn't work out with, but uh, we're hoping the best for, for Dante, obviously. Um, So yeah, if you want to go back and read that article, I got a couple of cool quotes uh, from him. That's uh, on the website from last week. Yeah, let's talk a little SEC Media Days. We'll have an article kind of breaking down some of what Beamer said today. Um, coaches at, meetings at the uh, yeah, not Media Days, coaches meetings. Um, but they got a little you know huddle from him, uh, and I, I got some of that from uh, our friends over at uh, the Georgia rival site actually. But anyway, um, we both listened to that before we hopped on here. What kind of stood out to you from Beamer's comments uh, coming out of those coaches meetings today? Uh,
1: not a ton. He's tired of talking about eight versus nine SEC schedule. He kind of just started saying, y'all know what we're here for, which we're going to talk about that in a second on here, but I can understand why he might be tired of it. Um, talked about tampering a little bit, gambling a little bit. I mean, there was nothing crazy, although I do definitely think the the tampering stuff is still on his mind. Uh, it was hard not to listen to that and kind of have Marshawn Lloyd or Jordan Birch's name running through your head. Um, yeah, That's kind of what I took.
0: Yeah, he was asked a question kind of about, like, how do you cut down on tampering? What have you guys been doing with tampering? Do you report tampering? That sort of thing. Um, And, yeah, the reason it kind of seemed like he was talking about Lloyd and Birch and um, Bell and those guys that you would think of is he immediately said, basically, those guys. He said, we lost four guys who were key contributors, and it was strange. (laughs) Um, So, you know, kind of tiptoed around it, but didn't really. He was like, yeah, I mean you guys all yeah yeah he basically was like i talked to all those guys two or three days before they're in the portal and everything seemed fine so (laughs) um but he did kind of say that there's a weird balance in it because of all the third parties involved um this was the case this has always been the case with recruiting um and now with the portal as well you throw nil in there you know it's it's a whole thing right you all we always heard about the like hundred dollar handshakes and stuff like that from boosters that it's like you your school could get in trouble from that for that but you probably didn't like really control any of that um so he kind of talked a little bit about like is it let's talk Oregon and Birch right I mean he, d- he didn't bring these up specifically right this is what I'm saying but like is it Oregon's fault for tampering with Birch if it was some random booster like Phil Knight or whatever not necessarily Phil Knight but um that came to Birch and was like, Hey, let's work out this deal, you know, is that is that Oregon football program's fault? Um, and so he was kind of like, You don't wanna throw stones at glass houses, basically like you don't wanna call out someone else because you don't know what your own third parties are doing and and all that sort of thing. So um it's definitely a complicated issue, but he did kind of mention you're like, yeah, we should probably be looking into the tampering stuff, but that is also kind of difficult because the same sort of stuff has been going on uh, in recruiting for thirty years or whatever.
1: It's that's kind of what it
0: is. It's same problems, or some people wouldn't even say it's a problem.
1: Same stuff, different way it happens. I guess um, you just added in the transfer portal now. You've got different timeline because now you're looking at December transfer portal instead of maybe just in, during the recruiting cycle. Um, I don't really know what to people are going to get paid in college football. It's been happening for 130 years. That's just kind of the way it is.
0: I did find it interesting that it seems like there's a little bit of a um, common respect among the coaches, at least in the SEC, when they hear about things. He mentioned that he's had other SEC coaches call him when he heard about uh, tampering going on with one of South Carolina's players and that he's done the same if he hears about tampering going on with other well, businesses. there is still
1: the, the year sit-out, too. You can you have to sit-out a year to transfer within the conference. So that does make that a lot less common, I guess, that a player would move within the league.
0: Well, yeah, I didn't even necessarily hear that statement as he was saying. Yeah. Mississippi State's tampering with someone from LSU, so I call LSU. I viewed it as more if there's – like in the situation, like Florida State, when Gajim Bell, I think he was saying like he's had programs call – about other programs tampering with South Carolina kids, right. uh, and he's done the same. Um, so there's, there seems to be at least a little bit of a common understanding among uh, people within the conference about the tampering stuff. But, I mean, we do see some interconference transfers, especially graduate transfers, so who knows? <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was pretty much the only interesting thing. They did talk a little bit about online gambling, um, which obviously has been an issue across – Multiple sports, professional, whatever, um and whether or not they are talking to the kids about it. And he said that they kind of had, but that they need to continue to emphasize it because yeah, you can just like download DraftKings on your phone or whatever, and yeah, like, make a quick made, bet and not realize that he has to get
1: reminded he can't bet on March Madness every year. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, it's. I mean, in some ways, I think that that stuff's outdated, but I also understand why you don't really want to set the precedent of allowing people that have a say in how games go uh, betting on any sort of sports, but, and you wouldn't want to get into like, well, you can bet on every sport except for your own. So I understand. Yeah. yeah, I understand from a regulatory standpoint, why that is, but uh, it's definitely difficult now that everyone can do it on their phone. Um, I mean, we just look back at uh, Calvin Ridley, who's coming back into the league in the NFL, but he had to sit out an entire year because while he was, recovering from his like mental health stuff or whatever. He placed a bet on a random game on his phone, you know?
1: Yeah. uh, That's about all I had from Beamer. Should we talk what he didn't want to talk about?
0: The one thing, some eight, nine schedule. Let's do it. So yeah, the big deal now, obviously with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league, you have 16 teams um, and you are trying to figure out how to make a conference schedule, actually reflect the conference which we talked a little bit about last week how um, in the way that things have been currently sometimes you don't do a home and home of the team for like eight years maybe more um so we talked about some of the proposals the most popular proposal seems to be a nine game sec schedule uh with three permanents and five Rotators? six or six you yeah. other teams in
1: because right. 16 you and the three yep. and six yep. on six off the other 12.
0: right but obviously there is a little bit of pushback um to the idea of going to nine conference games because you have uh teams like south carolina teams like florida teams like kentucky that have a permanent opponent in a power five conference um south carolina with clemson florida with florida state kentucky with louisville um, and then you also have like future scheduling concerns like uh, Alabama has like Wisconsin on the schedule coming up in a couple of years, stuff like that. So the, the real concern with those things is you're pretty much locking in 10 power five games uh, for each of those schools every year. Um, how do you sort of make sure that that is equal and equitable? And then we were talking a little bit before this, does it even matter? Because if you're expanding the playoffs to 16 teams, you have to think if you go 10 and two, Uh, in the SEC, you're probably right there at the doorstep of the playoffs every year anyway.
1: Yeah, my big thing with that, look, I I understand these decisions get made on TV money, on conference revenue, on playoff sharing revenue, all the things you just mentioned. What are we doing here if we're not protecting rivalries like in college football? What are we doing here if South Carolina can't play Tennessee and Georgia every season, if LSU can't play – I don't know, Alabama and Auburn every year. If Auburn can't play Georgia and Alabama every year, like I can go on, I can do this for an hour, but well, the, I, would I would say-
0: The really crazy one you brought up is if you're bringing Texas into the conference, how yep. do you bring Texas into the conference and not have them play Oklahoma and Texas A&M every year? I have no good answer for that. I think we all kind of assumed that would happen when they did join. Um, I would and say- The people that make the money decisions want that to happen, to be clear. You should. Those yeah. games are money bonanzas. Um and I would say, really, unless you're like
1: Vanderbilt or Missouri, maybe everyone's got at least two rivals in the SEC, like two games those fan bases want to play every year. We had a hard time. We were talking about it last week, narrowing down, all right, what three games would you want South Carolina to play every year? Now you're talking about one if it gets to that point. And, like, if it is one, let's say they go to the 1-7 model where you have one opponent every year, seven on, seven off. You're probably not getting Georgia because they're going to keep Florida. Uh, you're Northern. probably not getting Tennessee. you are going to have to play Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt needs someone. Probably down to Kentucky or Missouri. That Missouri probably gets Arkansas. You're probably out of Kentucky, really. If it's just one,
0: which you know, doesn't work out terribly for you um, from a scheduling perspective, but it's not very fun. And it's not. It that's, does... Are you going to tell me that South Carolina is going to play Kentucky
1: every year, but only Georgia and Tennessee every other year?
0: Right. It er- it erases a lot of. Uh, rivalries that you've built over the last 30 years, right? You've been in the, yeah. the SEC for 30 years now. Um, and I know, like you said, we you'd be third on the pecking order in Georgia's rivalries, but you're still on the pecking order in Georgia's rivalries. Yeah, you have um, that being kept in the yeah. 36 model, I think. So, uh, yeah, I think it seems pretty obvious that that's where they're going to have to go. Um, but some of the uh, quotes that I've read after the first couple of days from other coaches across the league... I can't remember who it was. I, I want to say it was uh, Drinkwitz. He said basically that um, he's amazed that thirteen colonies were able to form a union. Yes, that was Drink. Uh, I saw that quote. But yeah, the uh, sixteen coaches or whatever can't decide eight or nine games. Um, so it does seem like that there is still some posturing and some some arguments going on. Which you know, how much of that is. I'm gonna take this hardline stance just to make sure that my three permanent opponents aren't all super difficult, or you know that I at least get to pick one of mine or or whatever. Um, It's hard to say, but I think ultimately you have to land there, right? Like I I don't see a a world where you try to keep eight. And I I did see, um, I think it was the Athletic put out something yesterday that was kind of like criticizing the SEC if they are going to take such a giant share of all of these giant teams, but then only play eight conference schedules.
1: Yeah. And I do think there's like, if if the, this might, this might work against some coaches, but if you if the hold up here is the power five thing you were talking about, right. That South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, whatever would have to play an extra power five game with their in-state rivalries. The big 10, I don't know if they still have it for a long time, had a rule that, You had to play at least one non conference power five game. That's how you ended up with like Michigan playing Oregon State, Michigan State's playing Washington on a home and home. Um, I don't know, I think Ohio State's played a couple, they've played some big ones against like Oklahoma. Point being, if you have to, if the 10th game here is the holdup that South Carolina's 10th game would be Clemson or you know Florida's would be Florida State, you can schedule that in. You can make everybody play a power five or at least an FBS, they don't just not to FCS for their 10th game. Um, there's ways around that. I just – to me, so much of what makes college football fun is rivalries, those games, the ones you circle before the season starts. And you're getting rid of most of them in the eight-game model. Like you would be down to one per team that's happening every year.
0: Now, granted, that does give you the flexibility to play every – I mean, I guess both of them kind of do. Yeah, they do because it's either seven
1: on, seven off, or six on, six off. You're playing right. everybody every other year either way.
0: Right. But I guess worst-case scenario, if you were to keep the eight-game model – you have more flexibility in your out of conference scheduling and you're still going to see every school within a four year mm-hmm. rotation. So yeah, but it's, it's not quite the same. You're going to lose some of those rivalries. Lose sure. Some
1: great games. I um, mean, I don't know if you're a Bama fan, I think you want to play Auburn and Tennessee every year. Like that doesn't seem like a controversial statement. You wouldn't be able to do that in this model.
0: Yeah. No doubt. Um so the other question is what is going to happen with the conference championship game with the new like are there still gonna I don't there's probably not gonna be an east and west anymore, right? Are they gonna do like pods and then figure it out that way? Is it just gonna be the top two schools? Are they gonna get rid of the conference championship game altogether because of the expansion of the playoff and not building in another game? Because probably if you're one and two in the SEC, you're both making it anyway. I wouldn't mind seeing that game go away. We've talked about We've talked about that in the past, and I think at
1: that point, if you're stacking 12 regular season games on a conference title game on at least three, could be as many as four playoff games if you like were one of the lower seeds and made a run to the title. I don't need college football teams playing a 17-game season, 16 games. It just feels like a lot. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing conference title games go away if the playoff goes to a four-round format. You could play the first round that weekend and then have some time off like they do now. But the conference Hall game brings in a lot of money. So I don't think it's going
0: anywhere. Yeah, it's tough. We I did just, I thought I had remembered reading this. I did just read that Greg Senke did say back in November that it's going to get rid of the divisions. Yeah, those are gone. Texas and Oklahoma joined. Um, but yeah, are you still going to have a, a conference championship game. But I, again, it's hard to kind of justify that once both those teams are in anyway. Uh, for the playoffs so yeah
1: it's that's a mess I haven't seen any conversation about that this week I really just think the 8-9 is the pressing issue this week because Texas and OU are in the league next year and the next year's football schedules come out in September usually so we're three months away from having a football schedule with Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC that's got to be built like that kind of needs to happen now I
0: think that's true um, speaking of scheduling, yeah. we did get some news this week. Uh, you set me up there, right? Uh, that's, we, we did get some news this week of the game times for the first uh, three kickoffs for South Carolina's 2023 season. So we got a game under the lights in Charlotte against North Carolina at 730. Uh, then the first home game of the season versus Furman is also going to be 730. Um, I think that one's on ESPN Plus. Yeah. Do you remember who are uh, who's yeah who's carrying North Carolina ABC ABC it's the game of the week. Well, yeah, that's there's a couple of yeah. But I, I mean, saw that. i um, Yeah,
1: I was thinking like I know we'll get get to the last game that got announced first, and we'll still go back to UNC.
0: Uh, yeah, and then uh, game three open up the SEC schedule at Georgia, and that's going to be the 3:30 CBS game, um, which you mentioned I believe when you tweeted about it. That so that's probably one of the last opportunities for South Carolina to play in that 3:30 SEC slot before uh, it goes to the Big Ten in 2024. Which I think we said last week it was transitioning this year. It's a we split. Even, I saw yeah. some
1: 3:30 CBS games that got announced today that are Big Ten. Um, I think it's like a, and then the Georgia Florida. It's like a 50 50 split this year. I think is what I read. And then next year, 2024, it becomes Big Ten. Um, so that UNC game week one. We've talked about it a little bit. We're going to talk about it plenty more in the next, I don't know, I think we're at 94 days till kickoff or something. Um, Five, yeah, you're right. Um, Spencer Rattler, Drake May, neutral site, two fan bases that travel. Going to be fun. Could that be game day? Because the biggest game of week one, I'm looking at it now, is LSU, Florida State. It's going to be two top 10 teams. But it's Sunday. That's the Sunday night game. It's Labor Day weekend. That game's not on that Saturday. They got to have, they got to be somewhere that Saturday morning.
0: Yeah. 7.30 I ABC game. If it's, if it's not game day, it's almost certainly going to be SEC Nation. There's going to be a pregame show there. I, think. I would have,
1: I'm just looking at the rest of the week one schedule now. And like, there's some interesting games. You got Florida, Utah, but that's a Thursday night game. Um, you got TCU in Colorado for Dion's first game, but it's at noon and it's on Fox. Yeah. So sometimes that's not always the, the turnaround. You got yeah. West Virginia, Penn State. At Penn State, that's kind of fun-ish, but it's an NBC game again. There's not a lot of big games that are actually on ESPN. I know it's not always an ESPN game for game day, like broadcast-wise, but yeah, it feels plausible that college game day could be coming to South Carolina, North Carolina.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting. I don't. I also am like even trying to think of where they would set up around the stadium. Yeah, that's true. Having been to that stadium, there's not a lot of maybe they just shut off one of the areas of the parking lots, but I'm trying to think if they've ever been to like an ACC championship game
1: there and set up or whatever. I don't know off the top of my head.
0: Probably. But anyway, yeah, that is, that is really interesting. Um, How are you feeling about the uh, nighttime Furman kickoff?
1: Less enthused. (laughs) Uh, Less enthused.
0: (laughs) Um, Now I think that that was probably a situation like Georgia state last year where once it's on ESPN plus the, the school itself probably has a little bit more say on when it's going to be. And, you're going to play a, a Furman like game, you probably have a little more fun under the lights and get a little bit more crowd participation. It'll be juiced, It'll be, it's the first
1: home game. If they're coming off a big one over UNC, it's going to be a really good environment. I mean, it should be anyway,
0: but okay, the, the reason you don't like the primetime, uh, kind of you know, game that's expected to. Uh, be a blowout at night is because it's going to be such a late night for you after the press conference conferences and stuff. But the average fan probably yeah. kind of likes that, especially in August, in September. Yeah, September. I was going to say it's perfect. Um, so it's not a million degrees in Columbia. Attendance
1: wise, <laughs> that's that's the reason. If you're saying the school has some leeway on it, um, no, I shouldn't say nobody. A lot of people aren't going to sit in the stands for a noon game against Furman.
0: I mean I've I've done it. I've been in the upper deck at wearing yeah. price at noon in September, and it's it's not fun. Uh, you uh you leave half of your body weight and sweat up there. I edge. believe it.
1: <laughs> um and then Georgia week three, three thirty. Um see oh, what it yeah. happens.
0: It's gonna be a tough game, but uh you imagine if you take care of business in Charlotte that you're probably somewhere and and presumably you beat Furman, you know, handily. You're probably somewhere around the top 15. Yeah, probably.
1: Georgia should be number one, Georgia at that point I mean, still. Um, yeah, so that's a quarter of the football time set. The rest of them get set on the two weeks basis within the seasons. So we won't know anything else till September about when games are starting. But I think you feel okay about that for South Carolina. You get a big week one night game and a home game under the lights in there. And we'll see what it looks like from that point on for the rest of the year. Once the network can start flexing in season.
0: Yep, and we will have plenty of off-season uh, football coverage on GamecocksGroup.com. Uh, even more so here in a couple of weeks when baseball's gone, or here in a couple of days mm, sure, when baseball's sure. gone, perhaps we'll we'll see. So um, we speculated all last week about whether or not South Carolina would host a regional, whether or not they deserve to. I still think it's arguable that they didn't deserve to, but they did end up getting a uh, top 16 national seed. Um, and probably got one of the toughest draws of any regional, but that's kind of the situation that they had played themselves into. And yeah. and like we said, should probably just be thankful that you're playing in Columbia at all. Um, so obviously they're the number one seed. They kick off tomorrow or now Friday. Right. Uh, we usually do this on Thursday, Friday against central Connecticut. Right. Yep. I have no idea where that is. I lived in Rhode Island for six years. I drove through Connecticut a lot of times. I have no idea where Central Connecticut is. Um, but anyway, Central Connecticut. Uh, the other two teams, you have NC State and Campbell. Campbell. Yeah. Um, Campbell, the two seed, NC State, the three seed, and Central Connecticut, the four seed. Um, I think both Campbell and NC State are capable of winning this regional. Um, but I also think you have the home field advantage, uh, which, you know, was quite the advantage for the first half of the season, but like everything else kind of fell off on the back half. Um and Markinson, I still think is probably coaching for his job here. I think if you win this regional at home, um somewhat all is forgiven and you you move forward and try to hope that you're healthier next year again and all that sort of thing. Um but if you lose this regional in Columbia, first one since well, they had the yeah. one in
1: 21, but it was, they were a two seed because the one seed wasn't allowed yeah. to host and it was a half capacity crowd. First time since 2016, they've been a one seed in a regional.
0: Right. Um, so yeah, step forward, but it still felt like maybe came came up short of expectations after the expectations you set by climbing up to number three in the country earlier in the season.
1: Yeah, I will say, I think there's a double-edged sword to this. They were kind of, we had media Monday after the selection. and they were kind of talking, all right, Friday's a new opening day. What happened last month doesn't matter. We still got to host. We didn't play ourselves out of that. I do think that's true. You can look at it that way, that a new season starts on Friday. You're in your ballpark. I also think you made things much tougher for yourself by what happened the last month. Campbell's a really... I know a lot of people might not know about them as a mid-nager. Campbell's a really good team. They're top 10 in the country in most major offensive categories. Um, they were in the Knoxville Regional last year. They gave Tennessee a real scare when they were the number one overall seed. Like That team can play... NC State, that team can play too. They were top 25 RPI, um, well-balanced roster. I think you do handle the four seed. So I think you got a good draw there. It's not one of the tougher fours on paper, but you played yourself into a much more difficult weekend here by what you did in the last month. And it's gonna take they're gonna have to play really, really well. Uh, I guess that I would say the brand of when they've played the last month is not gonna get it done against Campbell or NC State.
0: Yeah, I think to some degree you gotta hope that Campbell and NC State uh, get into yep, each, each other. other's bullpens a little yeah. bit, yeah, um, and that you have your starter go pretty deep against Central Connecticut and don't have to use very many arms. Uh, That's what I was so going to ask you
1: about next. Now that you have the draw, you know the big game is probably going to be Saturday. That's your swing game against either Campbell or NC State. Who would you? How would you set it up this weekend, pitching wise?
0: Well, I know that there's still some questions about Will Sanders' health as well, right? Like, do we expect to have him? Or? It's
1: any year. expected to pitch, but it's more likely out of the bullpen than it's starting a start of the game.
0: Okay, so give me who you think are going to be the starters, and I'll tell you who you should start first. So give me three, I guess. I'm thinking Mahoney, Becker, and Hicks, probably. That's tough. I guess you would probably out of those three if you're playing it safe you probably throw becker um and on friday yeah and expect him to be able to at least overwhelm an inferior opponent um and then you save your two two arms that have been throwing the best down this stretch uh in hicks and mahoney for whoever you have on saturday i
1: think mahoney has to pitch saturday that's kind of what i'm building everything off of he's been your best guy That game's going to be almost certainly a 1-0 versus 1-0. Get yourself into a regional final, uh, where if you lose that, you got to go to the loser's bracket. I think you got to build this around Mahoney Saturday. I kind of side with keeping Becker as fresh as long as possible because he's a lefty, and you might need some matchups later in the week with Campbell or NC State. But also, I think you still don't want to take chances on Friday. I mean, Central Connecticut State's – or Central Connecticut's not – as dangerous as Campbell or NC state, but they are still a tournament team and you don't want to mess around and have to use a bunch of bullpen arms on Friday. So I think Becker or Hicks, I think Eli Jones could be a candidate for Friday because he started so many midweeks and that's kind of the type of team you'd see in a midweek.
0: Yeah. That's actually, that actually might be your best call. um, Yeah.
1: Is to go Eli Jones. And then Mahoney Saturday, probably Hicks Sunday. And then if you have to play twice Sunday with the loser's bracket or Monday, Becker starts that game.
0: Yeah, I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you Have you started to do any research on Central Connecticut? Do you have any sort of tidbits or facts on uh, what to expect out of what is their max mascot? I have no idea.
1: Devils, I think. Blue Devils, something like that. I was looking at that. Um, there's not a ton that jumps off the page. They don't strike out a lot. That was the one thing I saw. They're very small ball, put the ball in play. Yeah. Um, They actually have struck out the least of any team in this whole tournament, which is interesting. Um,
0: But you just kind of look
1: at South Carolina's the most, yeah.
0: I was was about to say, I saw that uh, in a tweet that you put out that, um, yeah, you're matching up the most strikeouts versus the least strikeouts in the first game. But it's not a a big power lineup. They only have 54
1: home runs all season. They're going to try to do it small ball, obviously, um, just against the type of arms they are going to be seeing with South Carolina. I do think... It's not so much to disrespect him. I think it's really important South Carolina wins that game big. A to get some confidence up for your lineup. B to just start the weekend right. C, because I think you're gonna need everything in the tank to get out of this regional with Campbell and NC State. You can't burn any gas on Central Connecticut. You just can't. That can't be even that can't be a six-three game in the A3. you still got to think about it. It just I mean, obviously winning is the most important thing, but you need that to be comfortable, I think, to feel good about getting out of the weekend.
0: And remind me if somehow you do make it through, uh, South Carolina has matched up with- Gainesville. You team. have oh, Florida. It's Florida,
1: UConn, Texas Tech, and I think the four seed there's Florida A&M. So you'd be going to Gainesville if the chalk holds. To play a Florida team, you did sweep in the regular season. Um, and then if any a, of those- feels, other, That feels like a long, long time ago. ago. <laughs> and then if any of those other three teams advanced and you did, they'd be coming to founders for a super.
0: right. Um, so yeah, very interesting. We will have full coverage of that the game on Friday is at seven. Is seven right? o'clock. Yep. And then obviously the rest of the schedule will play out dependent yeah. on the way that that goes. It's at six if you win.
1: So if you win Friday, it's at six on Saturday for the one and zero game. If you lose Friday, turn around have the elimination game at noon Saturday. Which uh, if they lose Central Connecticut, it's going to be a very different conversation
0: we're having. But. And then anything else that you got on baseball? I have a couple of just like random South Carolina adjacent notes, but Um, I I guess just this is what it all comes down
1: to, right? Like we're talking about Mark. We're talking about the future of the program. Like I am of the belief they have to win this regional for him. I kind of think that's just where this is trending. And um, you don't really have any excuses. Like I know it's a tough draw, but you got it in your own ballpark Um, and you should still, if that team that's been in there, right? I mean, Kingston, Mahoney, they've all talked about how this team's still here, the team from March and April. We've got to bring it out. If that team's still there, you could win this regional.
0: Yeah. What are we looking like from an injury standpoint? I know you already kind of mentioned Sanders might pitch out of the bullpen, but
1: yeah, you're in better shape there, too. That takes but another excuse. Cole Messina's out of concussion protocol. I saw him at the watch party on Monday. Kingston said Monday he was like on an exercise bike and taking swings. They're going to ramp. He's going to play Friday. Cole Messina's going to play and he said Braylon Wimmer can play shortstop, but he's healthy enough to play defense now, which does create a bit of a crunch lineup-wise, I guess, because who's the odd man out there? Is it Braswell? Do you take Tippett out and move Braswell to second?
0: Uh, it's not like either of them have set the world on fire uh, from the plate, so uh, maybe just hot hand approach there, but who who looks better in BP? You know,
1: Yeah, because one of them's. I guess you could DH one of them, But either way, Wimmer's taking shortstop, which means someone's got to move around on that infield, which is something else I'm keeping an eye on this weekend. And other than that, they're as healthy as huh? Still not expecting McGillis, right? Not expecting it, no. Um, They're about as healthy as they've been all year, McGillis aside, or at least since like March and April, considering you've got Sanders able to pitch, Messina back, Wimmer playing defense, uh, Lee Croix healthy. Um, There's really no excuses, even though it is a tough draw.
0: And then, yeah, one question that I guess South Carolina fans might be asking after the last five years um, is whether or not they would have been better off uh, uh, with a certain coach down the road. So uh, Chad Holbrook just signed a five-year extension with the College of Charleston. Um, Obviously, he did not have the sort of career South Carolina that uh, people were expecting, but also I think you have to look now at the way that the difficulty in the SEC ramped up during his tenure here. Um, now you could also argue if he had done better, maybe South Carolina is part of that upper echelon too. So it's, it's kind of chicken and the egg. But uh, anyway, he found a, his spot down the road, and uh, they want to keep him around. And then the only other little note uh, that I have, which is not baseball-related, but Julian Phillips, who South Carolina – recruited pretty heavily out of high school. He originally was from South Carolina, then played at like prep school in Missouri, Um, went to Tennessee and had uh, with like entered the portal sort of, but also had his name in an NBA draft uh, conversation. He's going to just stay in that NBA draft conversation. I know there's a little bit of speculation around whether or not South Carolina would try to target him in the portal, um, but we can shut that one down.
1: Yeah, I think your men's basketball roster is close to set at what it is now. We talked about that, I think, maybe two shows ago, but that's kind of about where it is at this point. So,
0: All right, well, uh, definitely keep up with Gamecockscoop.com. I will have the weekly recruiting wrap-up tomorrow. Um, Perry's been doing a fun uh, series on ranking the position groups from 10 to 1, uh, which, unsurprisingly, number 10... Was running back. Um, it's kind of got to be. Yeah. Uh, and then actually, I think going into the spring, we would have said number nine was Edge, but actually, number nine, offensive line. If you want to read those breakdowns, those are on gamecoxcoop.com. And then we'll have full coverage this weekend of baseball as Alan's going to be there for all those games. Pauline will be there shooting pictures. And uh, yeah, till then, enjoy the nice beginning of summer weather and uh we'll see you next time